0: in your Bibles to the book of James, James chapter 4. I made certain this time that the scriptures that I gave to to Sylvie and Scott were accurate, (laughs) or the reference. We want to talk about grace and our spirit today, and I want to preface this by um, doing what Mark, who has a gift of dreams, uh, often does before he teaches. I'm going to tell you about a dream that I had the other night, and um, it was really kind of a, a startling dream. Thank you, madam. I don't know who these two women are that keep coming, but they're, uh, they're almost as tall as me now. Uh, it's, uh, of course, maybe I'm shrinking. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh that it you know it's funny getting older isn't it um I'm I'm healthy and I'm strong but I went for my annual physical this year and when the 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 girl measured my height she told me how tall I was it was about an inch shorter than <laughs> what I've always been <laughs> and I said I can't be right she said well here it is sir it's right here I thought I'm not going to argue with a young woman. It's it's embarrassing anyway, but I'm just not going to do it. So, anyway, the other night I was I was praying um about you know, things that that we're all facing as we go forward in the spirit. And God really is making his scriptures uh we're we're learning things uh, deeper things in the scripture by virtue of what what we're f- facing as we walk in in the Lord. And uh, I spoke that message on Wednesday night live about myrrh, which was really a fun thing for me to do. I'm so grateful that the Lord was showing uh, insights about what what the principle of myrrh really means. And we'll probably deal with that further in, uh, in the seminar that's coming up in March. But um, that night, I had a dream, and it was really a strange dream. I've been having some bizarre dreams, and then I, I usually get up from them around four in the morning, and then I pray and try to process what they mean and why God showed them to me. So in this dream, I was in this lovely building, and it was it was just a fresh, fresh build, and I could see out uh, out of the windows. Really bright, fan- new construction. It was just bare and open ground all around. So, I knew that this was a, a, a new building, and there, I saw in the house this orange menacing snake and it was like a cobra but it wasn't a cobra this was a big snake and I i of course I didn't I don't like snakes I saw this thing and it was just vibrant orange with some black in it and I, I, I was repulsed by it being there and um, I was trying to avoid where this snake was because it was I was the only one in this Really nice new structure, and um, I I had a lot. You know, you're in a dream, so your thought processes are just basically registering what 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 you're experiencing in the dream. I'm not one of those people that can control what I do in a dream, um, and and it dawned on me that this thing was trying to keep me from moving forward. This thing was trying to keep me from um doing any other work you know it's almost like you're in this new beautiful building but you're not going any further because there wasn't any way I could get out or go and finally I felt enough of this I'm gonna I'm gonna go forward I'm gonna I'm gonna do something about this this critter and um the next thing I knew, when I made that determination, this this snake had been stepped on. And, of course, as soon as I saw that it was capacitated, I'd like to say that I had some spiritual experience, but I got out of that house as quick as I could, and I, I went out and got in this old, bl- bright blue, bright blue pickup truck. It was old, and I... Got in that thing and started it up and backed out real fast, out into the main street. And when I was going forward, I saw that there was a a fleet of these really cool-looking vehicles that were waiting on me. And they, 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 they were like cars, but they weren't that. There probably were eight or nine of them. And as I started to drive forward... I could see this snake that was crushed on the road. And I thought, wow, that's cool. So I woke up. And, um, of course, I had to process the dream based upon what I know that I have been battling against spiritually. Um, And um, I know that orange represents grace. And I know that failed grace is bitterness. And, um, the enemy of grace. Um, there's a lot of factors that we've learned. We know that Beelzebub will attack grace because grace is always moving forward and Beelzebub wants the status quo. He doesn't want the kingdom of the enemy that he in many ways manages uh, to be disturbed or to be drawn down. And uh, But but bitterness is the main opponent to grace. And, you know, we talked the, the day the, the, the day of that dream, the dream would come that night about myrrh and what it means to die to self so that something new would come forward and it's it's a real partnership with the Lord. But anyway, I've been telling you that I've, I've really been battling uh, spiritually about, um, uh, about bitterness and different aspects of it, it's, it's really been a strange conflict. And so <clears throat> I, I felt that this dream really indicated that I had finally determined that I was going to go forward, which we were going forward. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm around here. We're not stopping, but personally, you know, you can go forward, but personally, you can, you can kind of shut down. And honestly, that's what the enemy's been trying to get me to do. Um, And a lot of the messages that I've been bringing from the scripture have unlocked deep truths about this kind of thing. But it's been based upon the fact that I've been fighting this opposition. And, um, um, you know, we continue to go forward. But you know as well as I do that you can do a thing that you know you 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 should do because you're serving the lord but yet inside you can be dealing with you know an unwilling the enemy hits those places that's why bitter sop is usually part of the communion time because we need to we need to deal with those things that, you know bitterness is the you know god speaks about those that turn judgment to Wormwood. Those that would turn what he wants to do, what he is ordained to do, to a point of bitterness um, instead of a point of prophetic dying to self to go forward. And the scripture speaks about that. And we know that the enemy, I'm, I'm going back over teachings that we've had over the years. Um, the enemy um, deals in bitterness. That's his passion. Um you know, Paul the apostle spoke to Elamus the sorcerer and said, You are in the gall of bitterness, you you son of Satan. So we know that the operative flow of enemy power is based on bitterness, where he's he's taken people and turned them from their service to God using their giftings the way God created them to use them into people that are jilted and uh, in the bonds of iniquity and and that they would then move in bitterness. And we see that all over our country today, don't we? We see people who are living in the greatest land in that the, the world has ever known with the opportunities and the blessings that we have, and everybody's got some gripe. Well, not you. But you you see it in the media, you know, well, we've been done wrong or we've been withheld or we've been held back as we pull up in a beautiful new Mercedes and we get out and talk about how oppressed we are. You know, it, it's, it's just incredible to me how that root of bitterness has really tried to grip this country and it's caused division and where strife is, there's every evil work. And uh, I... Uh, I was listening, and I'm going to get, eventually get to James here in a minute, because it talks about, it talks about this, and it, uh, in going through what I've gone through, it, it, uh, it lets me understand why the Spirit said through James what he's saying, and I'm looking forward to bringing that, but I'm not finished yet for, with my, my introduction. Um, so the other night, I, uh, I, after that dream, that day, I was just processing and laying myself before the Lord. And um, after uh, the teaching on myrrh, I mean, I, I was just really giving thanks to God for his word and for leading us. And uh, I was asking him to make me, vul- uh, that that the places of vulnerability that the enemy's been attacking, that would they would finally... Be laid down and it's it, just to tell you it's not some mortal sin or something I'm doing it's 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 just the battle for grace and you can read the scriptures you know somebody doesn't have to be a vagabond to be being attacked by the enemy in the measure of grace that's why at the table you have you deal with with uh, bitter sop but I I started listening to some old, old um, songs that, um, uh, from when I first came here, and I was listening to some old songs by Keith Green, who was tragically killed at a young age, but he was moving in, um, in East Texas in the Wilkerson Group where David DuPlessis was, and his songs were just really uh, amazing to, to try to call people to God and um, so I, I was listening to those in the dark, and I was just praying, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time in the Lord, and so then I I felt like I needed to listen. The Spirit directed me to listen to an old message that was preached in Pittsburgh by Catherine Kuhlman. I was probably at that meeting when I was a kid, and um, she was talking about the, the generation that had just been born and how god had told her that he was uh this was going to be the generation that battles for the time of the end and and that she was even talking about how that the father was going to be revealing himself to people in ways that uh had not really been known and and it was just a, it was a, it was an astounding thing so I I declare that we are moving forward in grace. We have been moving forward in grace, uh, and it's not that we've we did, we're, we we were determining whether we were going forward in grace. We we are on this path, and this is what we're doing. But you know, you can be on the path and not really be um, um, free from places where the enemy would target you know the Bi- and the Bible tells us you know you know you need to be circumspect because the enemy goes around as a roaring lion seeking what he may devour he's watching all of you it's not that we're inviting him to and you know, if you don't like that topic we'll just start ripping out I can give you about 15 pages you can just rip right out of the scripture because th- this says this is what we're dealing with we all, are fighting the good fight of faith, and when it comes to grace, grace and truth, as we're moving forward, we have to continually guard ourselves, lest we open ourselves to, first of all, feeling. Um, what what does bitterness try to do? It it tries to, it tries to to compare with others, and it tries to make you feel that somehow you've been shortchanged or it, it makes you want to give up and quit so that you can just not feel those things anymore. And, you know, the Bible talks about um, in the Old Testament that the people in the wilderness were destroyed because they were murmuring. And remember the one time there was uh, God sent a bunch of snakes to uh, to to really judge the people, and Moses put the, the, the snake on a pole, and the people that looked at it would be healed of this, and the problem was that they, they kept that snake, and uh, they kept that bronze snake, and our old buddy Hezekiah finally said, we got to get rid of this thing, and so he destroyed it. But why were they looking at the snake? Because for them, they need to recognize, I can't let bitterness I can't let that govern me and and when you recognize that then you have freedom and you know when we look at Jesus on the cross we we recognize that he triumphed over everything for us and we need to look to him as our as our example and give him give him praise so the issue of grace Uh, And bitterness is something that James talks about. See, you wondered if I was ever going to get to James. Here we are. James 4, this is easy for you. James 4, 5 and 6. Even I could not write that wrongly. James 4, 5 and 6. Now, James, most people believe, was the brother of Jesus. There were, I think, five Jameses that were mentioned in the New Testament, but... Ideally, just about everybody agrees that this was the brother of Jesus. It's very similar to what James said in Acts 15. So the, even the verbiage, everything seems the same. James really, from what we understand, wasn't really following Jesus uh, during Jesus' ministry. But after he rose from the dead, then James was counted with the, the followers of Christ, according to the first part of the book of Acts, so there there was wisdom in this guy, and um, he uh, he has a lot he has a lot to say, a lot of good things from the Spirit. Um, James four five, do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy but he gives more grace wherefore he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble and then you know he goes on those are the only two verses i asked him to put on the screen submit yourselves therefore to God resist the devil he will flee from you draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you um, the, the weird thing, two, two strange things about this fifth verse. Uh, first of all, you can look through your commentaries. Nobody has any idea a specific scripture that James is referencing here. They just don't know what it is, and so I'm going to explain what that means. And the other thing is this spirit within us, the spirit that each of us has, the spirit that is the gift of life to us that is born again through Christ. That's the spirit that James is referencing. And what does he say? It lusts to envy. Now, think of that. Well, not my spirit. Well, this is what the word says. So what does that mean? And what does that have to do with grace? What does that have to do where God gives more grace and resist the proud. This is a key thing for all of us to understand. So let's just look at this piece by piece. The first thing is that James says, do you think the scripture says in vain? It, it doesn't have to mean that he's quoting a particular scripture. What he's saying is that the accumulation of the Scriptures and the things that we know to be true from the Word of God is telling us this over and over again, and we, we need to recognize that what we see in the Scripture is for us. It's not in vain. You, you, if you see this theme through the Scripture, you cannot say, well, that doesn't apply to me you cannot say well i'll never be i'll never be affected by that you 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 cannot say that it is vain or pointless or meaningless in your life so the whole theme of what james is talking about you know what did, what did he just what was he just saying there in the first part of chapter 4 where do wars come from where do where do Lusts that attack your members come from you. You lust. You have not. You kill and you desire to have. You want to obtain and you fight and you war and you have. You do. You, you don't. You don't have because you're not actively engaged in prayer. James is talking about these things. He also talks about the double-minded man that is is unsteady in all of his ways. Don't don't expect to receive anything. So he's talking about issues that go on in all of us when we're walking in the things of God. So what does it mean when the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? That sounds gross, doesn't it? Well, it's just the way it's translated. Here's what it says. Here's, here's what it really means. Um, the essence of envy is that you're looking at something that you really would like to have, whether you should have it or not. But when it comes to grace, the essence of grace is that we're we're looking ahead. The essence of joy is we look ahead to the things that God has ordained. And that becomes our horizon. So Envy in the nat—it's kind, of, kind of like jealousy in the Old Testament. We speak about the jealousy of God. We speak about the Kanah of God, the, which is translated as possessor of heaven and earth, when Melchizedek was talking to Abraham. And we think, oh, jealousy—that's a—that's a oh, that's a bad thing. We shouldn't be jealous. But how is God jealous? So you can have a a negative, uh, a negative experience of jealousy. Or you can recognize what the jealousy of God really means, that this belongs to me, this is what I created things to be, and it's not being done in the way that it should be, and I want that back. So that's God's jealousy. Now, jealousy in the natural is not enviable. It can be, it can be justified to a certain degree, or it can just be psychotic, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who's just jealous all the time. You know, it's just no. You, you can't you can't tell what's gonna trigger the person, but there's some weakness or there's something that that they feel is theirs, whether it's theirs or not. And so, just because that word is translated as jealousy, the the theme of it is that here's what God originally means by that, and humans can pervert that divine measure of of uh, partnership. And so it is with envy. I mean, when the, the essence of the view of grace is that we are here, but we see that God wants this, and we want to move forward into that horizon in God and we're willing to pay the price for whatever God would require so that we can move forward in grace so that we can grow in grace in the in the natural world envy would say hey you know what I'm okay here but I really like what they have and I'm going to do whatever I can to get that and if I can't get it I'm just going to stew about it so envy is kind of like a um, a perversion of the essence of grace. And what is lusteth that that you would do whatever is necessary to get that objective. It's what you think about. it's what you've devoted yourself to. And so we uh, we as a people of grace should be um, going forward after what God intends and we should be willing to do whatever, we can in order to accomplish that. So when James says that he's just talked about, hey, you, you people have been fighting each other, killing each other, you've been robbing, you've been doing all these things because you're really not aligning yourself with the friendship of God. You, you're not praying. You're not asking in accordance with what he has ordained. And then it says, do you think that all the things that scripture has said don't apply to you? Because the spirit that is within you is, des- is designed by God to partner with him to move forward in grace. To-, to devote whatever is necessary to see God accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And that's the essence of prayer, isn't it? We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then he adds everything we need. If we're just self-centeredly barraging God with all the stuff that we want and think we want, that's really not prayer. Hey, I live that life. I I, I just, it's, it's kind of pointless and it wears you out. But when you're before God and you're praying in the Spirit and you're on your face before Him and you're welcoming His kingdom to come and His will be done and grace and truth is in you because of Christ, you want to discover those things that God has hidden and now is revealing. You want to move forward in them. We grow in grace. That's the kind of prayer partnership and supplication that God wants us to live in. And then we're we're satisfied and the kingdom is moving forward. But James gives this long list of, of, people that gripe, and people that complain. The, the tongue is a deadly poison. You mean you read about this, uh, where envying and strife is. There's confusion in every evil work. These are James' stem winders. But to me, James four five is the essence, the key that explains all of it. The spirit that is in you the spirit that is born again, that God gave, that we will surrender back to God on the day that he said, come home. That spirit is designed to move forward in grace with God. And that spirit yearns, yearns to do whatever is necessary to see what God wants to do in grace birthed. That's the essence of the ma'ah that's in you. And... You know, I was thinking about hunger and thirst after righteousness, and I'm trying to process things. You know, we all have ways that the Spirit of the Lord moves in us, and sometimes we don't understand what they mean. You know, why is it that my ears start burning at certain times? Why is it that I feel this kind of feeling? What what does that mean? What does that mean? Why is it that sometimes I feel deep in the core of who I am this this unsettling in the spirit, almost a yearning, and and I, I, you know, I think that God in this season is going to explain some of these things to you, and you, you you that God would give you understandings of the unique vessel that He created you to be, but that point of the core of your spirit, that point of the ma'ah, that point of of uh, where you really are are designed to partner with god to me that just fits hungering for god where you you are wanting to grow and develop you want the meat of the word you want sustenance just like in the natural, some of you are probably already hungry and it's just 1120 and your your stomach is gurgling. Where do, where do you get hungry? Well, yeah, you could say you're hungry up here, but you're really not hungry up here. Here is where you're hungry. And, you know, so if you're hungering, that place in the spirit is, you want sustenance so you can grow and have the energy and to develop to go forward. Thirsting is another thing. We're not talking about that today. But Do you think that the scripture is just blowing smoke when it says the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? There is, again, there is no scripture that he is directly quoting. You can look it up for yourself. You could even check the Pentecostal evangel. You will not find a verse. So James is talking about the plethora of what he's understood through the study of scripture. And it's about grace. Why do you say it's about grace? Because he says, but... He gives more grace. What kind of more grace? Oh, I I need more grace. Well, why? Hold on. This is Maison, which is that fifth dimension of the power word. It is the word that Jesus a variation of the word that he used to say, "Greater works will you do?" You know, if you if you get yourself aligned and you begin to allow God's spirit to breathe through you and that spirit to be functional within you, it's going to be yearning to accomplish what God wants. And as that happens, that uh, a maison, a growing, a spreading dimension of grace will be given to you. Grace comes. And in fact, how many times have we said that in, in these epistles, the common the common way that it was either addressed uh, to the people or concluded was always grace. Grace, Sometimes grace and peace, usually grace, mercy, and peace. They should have all been growing in grace. And here James, Pastor James, is talking about grace. But he's saying, hey, (laughs) your spirit was built for grace, which is why it... It, it, if it's not born again, if it's if it's not trained to serve God, that capacity within people can be yearning for for other things. It can be engaging in war. It can be engaging in other things that are not godly. But when you when you're born again, and James was writing to the church here, so. Just being born again doesn't say you're doing what you're supposed to do. Hey, look, we've many of you have been in church all your life. You know that good old godly people can do things worse than demons could do. And so just because you're born again doesn't mean that you're actually functioning in grace. Um, but James gives this warning. He says, as we're studying what the scripture says and the meaning of the scripture, and he's just listed all these people that went wheels off. I mean, you look, golly, it's like James is giving a laundry list of all the wacky things that people in his church had done over the years. And so, not that any of you would do these things. This is James's church. But, you know, he comes then to this, to this point. He says, the spirit that is in you is designed to to seek after something beyond where you are right now and designed for you to give all that you are in the pursuit of it because it's God's spirit within you. And it's born again through the blood of the one who gave everything he needed for the everything that he needed to give for the joy set before him to say to his father, it is finished. My sacrifice is bringing grace and truth now. The law is there for an example, but now we're moving in grace and truth. So, all of that understanding and more, James says, Hey, the scriptures talk about this. Do you think it doesn't mean anything for you? The spirit that was in you is designed for this purpose. And if you begin to do this, God will give you a dimension of grace so that you can build and expand and grow. That's the more of more grace. If it was just simply a plurality of grace, you can give people five semis full of grace, and it doesn't mean they're going to do anything with it. But if you have this devotion and you are before the Lord, you, uh, you will be given this dimension of grace and you can grow. And then he says, the conclusion of verse 6, Wherefore, for this cause, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? Resisting is a unique word because it, first of all, indicates proper placement. It indicates, you know, where things should be and what people should be doing. And this word means that something is out of place in that regard. So God looks at what he wants to have done. He looks at what you should be doing, and he recognizes this person is not yielding themselves to me. They're prideful for whatever reason. They want what they want. They want people to recognize them, they don't want to do what i'm asking them to do even though they know deep within themselves they're supposed to because they have another agenda they're not really partnering with me and they're not aligning themselves with what i created them to be and what i'm wanting to do so i'm going to resist that because it's gonna it's gonna uh how how best can i say this it's going to impede what god has ordained to do god resists the proud But then again, he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to people who yield themselves, who submit themselves, who say, it's not about me. It's not what my natural or sinful um, uh, viewpoints. It's not about what culture says. It's not about what my circle of friends are telling me I should have. Boy, it's so easy to go down that trail, isn't it? That's why we're in the world and not of the world. Um, but um, this this business of being prideful is more about saying, "I see what God's structure is, and I don't want to do it. That's That's really the essence of pride, which is what the enemy says. Um, it's what the scripture says of the enemy, when when pride came, when iniquity rose in him, a twisting of purpose and pridefulness came. I don't like what you want for mankind. I don't like what that means for me. I'm not doing it. That's the essence of pride. And it really goes against this. it, It really fits into this word about God resisting god resists the proud god's got a plan he's got a structure he's got things that each of us need to do as we are all yearning for grace to be accomplished god is going to resist that he's going to resist that because pridefulness is saying i'm not doing what you want i like something over here that's much better how many times over the years Certainly, again, nobody in this place. How many times over the years have we seen people dropkick their calling and their purpose because they don't really like what God's doing and they don't like what he's calling them to do and they'd rather be doing what somebody else is doing? Over and over again, we've seen it. We can call it different things. But it's all about, I don't like where I am. I don't like what God's asking me. Of course, they'd never say, I don't like what God's asking me to do. It's always something that's more appealing, a nomenclature that's more appealing to describe how it's really not their fault, it's somebody else's fault. But in essence, it's pride. It's strife. Every evil work comes in. This, these, these two verses are astounding in their wisdom. But God gives more grace and he gives grace to the humble. That's, that's an incredible, incredible thing. But it's the spirit within us. Wow. Lustest, lusteth to envy. If you put it in King James' words, lust even sounds worse. Lusteth. If you had a lisp, now I don't think any of these translators had lisps because they say, oh, I can't write that word. I can never say it. Lusteth. I don't know. It's, it's, it'll be awful. Forgive me if there's probably a union for lispers. And I forgive me. But, you know, it, it lusteth. The spirit within. Well, I thought the spirit within us, oh, it needs to be born again. And, oh, let my spirit be free because it's friend. And it, it's the understanding. Phronesis. And, you know, a fool is Ephron. And we go through all of those words. And we should. But the essence of it is that same spirit is built for grace. It is built to press forward and to birth, to continue to birth what God is wanting. And we have to give to God what he requires for that to happen. And we might say, and I think it would be really safe to say, that all of these miscreant things that James talks about, throughout this book, as only a pastor could write, uh, he's talking about how that spirit within people and the power that God created to see miracles happen if it gets off-center, if it's devoted to pride, if it's devoted to some other uh, agenda, can do destructive things. Huh. James also talks about the tongue, and how it can do great evil, and how uh, it can kindle a fire, and how it can be a, uh, a a detriment to a ship and causing the ship to crash. And you know, wh- where does the wor- where do the words come from? The words come from deep within us, uh, and so w- we we really have to recognize what he's saying here. And we need to say, uh, I'm going to move forward in grace. And if there's any kind of thinking that the enemy is pushing a button, and it it can be surprising, like that orange snake. You know, yesterday, um, one of our prayer groups uh, was praying, and it was Ruby's group. And there was a word that she felt I needed to see and um I'm not gonna I've already mentioned names so I'm not gonna say any more names but the person who had this in part of their team saw an orange wall an orange wall and it said that the breath of God was blowing on that wall and knocking it over so I I just think that God is saying to us we're moving forward in grace and any kind of thing that might be trying to um to influence you? Are, are there other things? You know what our mission is. You can, you can see what God has given us to do. The world is before us. We have a unique remnant message, this message of the saints. We have, uh, you know, that blue, old blue truck. We are supplying the nations. You do realize that. When we go forth to um, to obey the Lord and to make disciples, it, it, it you know, the enemy would say, well, you're not doing a good job. You, you know, you, you're antiquated. You know, nobody wants what you have, you know, and all those things. And God shows me in this dream, go out there and get in this bold blue, look like an old blue, late fifties, early sixties pickup truck, which was when I was born and, you know, get out there. You're supplying this flotilla of people that have been prepared in the nations to revolutionize, what God is doing in the kingdom there. We have to go forward in grace. We have to say, yes, Lord. We need to, as the next dimension of how our spirit should be trained, is we should recognize with all the other things we've seen that it is a womb of grace. We have to see that. We have to see that. And we think about how we've studied grace. What what is the poster child of grace in in the Old Testament? Of course, you can say Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, all those. But the one whose name was grace was Hannah, and her womb was shut. And God caused her to give miraculous birth to a young man named Samuel, who would establish schools, who would establish the kingdom. We just talked about that in our last seminar, didn't we? The Rama Seminar that's what we are and so in any way that the enemy might be trying to convince you that this message that God has prepared you for all these years is now antiquated and it it's it's not what God wants and you might as well just give up you might as well just start looking for retirement you might as well just decide to lay down your your your, your pitchfork and stop bailing hay you know Quit that. Get back in line with what God is saying, and because he resists any attempt to remove yourself from what you're called to be. He resists that. How many of you want to be resisted by God? Anybody? I don't, and and I, uh, I have to admit that a lot of the things that the enemy has tried very subtly to attack us with has been those types of miscreant thoughts about our our calling we we have to recognize what God has called us to be and be it and supply for that structure and there are people that are hungry for what God has given and you know the spirit within you lusts to envy what how how are your eyes scanning other things? How how are you how how are you being uh, possibly uh, pursued by the enemy in this way? It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a wicked person. It doesn't mean that you don't love God. It's it's interesting how an attack against grace can be so convincing hath god said and and it it just it just comes and we have to say no i'm gonna humble i'm gonna do whatever i can to be humble and of course we're not going to give you any awards for being humble because if we do that then you're not humble anymore but you know i love what james is saying to me this this is an astounding, this is an astounding word. Uh, and, you know, just, just James is not a very long book. There's only six chapters. Um, draw nigh eye to God. He will draw an eye to you. This is right after this business I've been talking about. Humble yourselves in the sight of Lord. He will lift you up. Um, it's just, <laughs> what is your life? It's a vapor. Uh, that that appears for a little time, then vanishes away you, that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we will live and do this or that, but now rejoice, you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil to him that knows to do good and does it not to him. it is sin. How many of these verses have we quoted man these are these are these are breakfast table. You know, little cards you'd pull out. You'd read these verses. Some of you don't know what that is. Anybody who was raised when I was raised, all the moms had those little things. You'd open it up, pull a card out, there'd be a little scripture on there. Where strife is, there's every evil work. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. All of those things. James, James should be getting some royalties. You know? But the key to all of this, to me... Is these verses that we just read about grace? And again, the mental gymnastics in some commentaries about what James says here. Do you think that the scripture says in vain? Well, where is that verse? We can't find that verse. Maybe it was a translating error. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. It's just nonsense. What James is saying is what we've been saying, and he speaks about the spirit within, and he speaks about what God wants that spirit to do. Frankly, I'm very grateful that I, (laughs) here I am justifying myself, that I haven't yet written this book about the spirit within, because this is a key point in it. Now that I've stomped the snake, I guess I've got to start writing. But you know, the point though is, is that this wonderful born-again spirit within you, this womb of grace, this is what it's for. That yearning within you is always pressing for the more of God. It's always pressing for what God wants to do next. And it's very selective. You know, I've yet to see any mother who's got little babies. They might smile at the other babies, but none of them are taking priority about your little child. I mean, that's just the way it is. If God is birthing grace in you, keep your eyes on it. And you want everybody else to be blessed, but there's one in you, or maybe two, and you, you follow that. The spirit within us, lust to envy. Rose, that just sounds gross. But when you see what he was really saying, it's describing the powerhouse of God's spirit within you. And if we humble ourselves and get in line with what God's doing, God will give us the type of grace. I just love this, the birthing, because the essence of grace and supplication is found in Hannah, and we're birthing the new in God. God will give us the grace that we need, and if we're humble, he gives us more grace. That's wonderful. So if you see any orange snakes hanging around, Use your heel and crush him. And um, I I uh, the wall of separation is being blown down by his spirit, and I proclaim over all of us at the very end of this apostolic month that we're moving forward in grace and that any type of opposition, any type of of uh, perversion of our purpose that we might have even innocently been, uh entertaining that that's gone it has to be gone and um i'm speaking to myself uh you know and and it i know that preachers aren't supposed to get up and tell you things that they face but listen we're all in this together and if 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 i don't break through as long as i'm up here as your leader you're probably not breaking through it's just true so to say hey this watch out this is what the enemy's trying to do is not a measure of weakness it's a measure of warning and we're going to overcome we are overcoming we press forward into what God has created us to be from the foundation of the world. When he caused us to come into this life, he breathed his breath. That's the the power that's keeping you alive right now. And Jesus came so that that might be born again, so that you could pursue the truth of God. Grace and truth came through him. And that's who you are. That's who we are. So I love what James says. And so look, look at, um, read through this book. It's not, it won't take you long. And not that that matters. It's not like I'm asking you to read Psalm 119 or anything. But read through this book and remember that James has really hit the core engine of everything that he's saying right there. In what verse is it, Pastor? Well, it's really easy. James 4, 5, and 6. Do you mean all three chapters? No, I mean James 4, verses 5 and 6. Sometimes you just got to spell it out real slow. And I think everybody can read that. Read it in the King James. It even makes it more miserable sounding. <laughs> but you know what it means now. And um, you know the truth and it sets you free. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your peace that passes all understanding. Thank you that as we come before this table of communion now, that even though we d- I didn't ask for the bitter sop, but yet spiritually we recognize that as we are receiving the bread and receiving the the, the blood, that we've got to submit ourselves before you and say, if there's any wicked way, if there's any way that I have allowed my spirit to be redirected, I want to submit it in humility before you. I want to submit it to you, God. And, and Lord, thank you for this. I speak blessing over this congregation and over the saints around the world Help us to fulfill our partnership with you and be pleasing in your sight. Forgive us, Father, for any ways that we have um, that we have resisted your calling, innocently or un- uh, not innocently. Forgive us and help us to move forward in grace now, uh, in in dynamic ways. Release that grace to us, and we love you, Father. It's for your glory. It's for your majesty and your honor, and we love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.